Wow. Wasn't that fun? Oh, this old children's pastor sure loves watching that. All those, all those little ones up front. Oh, doesn't get better than that. And it ties in very well with my question for you this morning. Do you remember your childhood prayers? Do you remember the prayers you might have learned as a child? Maybe uh, uh, your prayers before dinner. You know, we learn God is great. Some of you learn this one. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. Now, we were with a traveling team and, and some of the people, we were going around, we were praying the prayers from our childhood and one of the guys goes, well, my family, you know, we didn't become Christians till later, but we always wanted to pray before dinner. So our prayer was rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. So that's kind of how they handled it. And, and how, about, how about your prayer before you went to bed? Any of you remember those prayers? Now, how many of you did, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Have you ever thought about what we were telling the kids to pray? <laughs> if I should die before I wake. Yes, I want you to have pleasant dreams. <laughs> oh, frightening prayer. If I should die. But that prayer was based on a prayer. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms chapter 31. Chapter 31, and if you've got your Bible, turn to chapter 31, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord. Catch this next part. Faithful God. Now, you may have a different translation and may say it a little bit different. I use the English Standard Version. But let me read it to you again. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I commit my spirit. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I commit my soul to you. Say, well, why are we talking about that? On Palm Sunday. Well, we're on the very last statement of Jesus. And Psalm 31.5 was the children's version of now I lay me down to sleep that they were praying in the Jewish lands in the time of Jesus. Every Jewish child, before they went to sleep, prayed, I commit my spirit to you. O oh, faithful God, I commit myself to you. Is it not interesting that Jesus, in his very final words, prays his childhood prayer? 
Have you ever thought about that? In his last gasp of life, he prays his childhood prayer. But notice he changes it just a little bit. He says this. He goes, Father, Abba, Abba, Father, Father. In the Old Testament, there were many names for God. There was Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. There was uh, Elohim. There was uh, El Shaddai. There was Yahweh. There were all these wonderful names for God. But you know what name they rarely used? Father. In fact, in the entire Old Testament, 39 books, Father is only used 15 times. And it's used to either God describing Himself or as a description of God, but it's never used in an intimate way. Think about that. The Jewish people never really understood God as Father. And then Jesus shows up. Just in the Gospels alone, there's 165 references to Jesus going, Father. And it's never in the abstract. It's always in the intimate. It's always Jesus going, Father, 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 my Father, our Father, our Father, my Father. Intimacy. He turns it upside down. They'd never heard this before. God as my Father? God as, as, as this one who wants to have an intimate, real relationship with me? This is, this is mind-blowing. And when Jesus dies, it keeps going. In fact, his disciples, his followers, keep it up. They keep saying, our Father, my Father, 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 Father. And for the rest of the New Testament, we have another hundred times that it's called Father, Father, Father. A new relationship opens up. Father. But why? Why right now? Why would he call him Father? Father, why now? Next month, we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day. And we're going to have one of the best things that I love. Child dedication. I just love it. I love, I love the parents coming forward with their little babies or maybe their young children. I, I So far, I, I think the oldest I've done is teenagers. We've dedicated teenagers. I haven't had any adult children dedicated yet. But at least, you know, children, they bring them up and, and mom and dad are there and we pray over them and we dedicate mom and dad, we dedicate the children. It's awesome. But could you imagine 
if, if, if a parent came forward, and let's say we had two or three parents up, and they all had their little babies, and, and I looked at the first baby next month, and I said, oh, and what's your, what's your baby's name? Oh, Bonnie. Oh, hi, little Bonnie. She's so cute. Why Bonnie? Oh, that's her grandmother's name. Oh, how sweet. How sweet. Bonnie, I just want you to know you're going to grow up after your namesake, not Grandma, but Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> and you're going to rob and steal and shoot people and, and have a horrible, tragic ending. God bless you. And I walk over, and there's a, a, a family there, and they have their little baby boys. What's your little baby boy's name? Oh, Arnold. Arnold. Oh, and why Arnold? Well, his great grandfather was named Arnold. Oh, okay, that, that's, that's great. Arnold, I just want to let you know that you also are going to be after your namesake. Not your great grandfather, but Benedict Arnold, the greatest traitor in American history. You are going to betray your country. You are going to be the worst spy. Everyone is going to spit on your name, and eventually you'll be before a firing squad. I just want to let you know, may God bless you as you leave today. How long do you think our child dedication services would last? In the lobby, you would be all whispering, don't worry, he's just weird, he's off his medicine. It's, it's okay, it's just okay. Yeah. Did you know that happened to Jesus? Isaiah starts talking about Jesus and he says, this is going to be a man who's despised. A man who's hated. A man who's going to be acquainted with grief. Mary and Joseph happily walk in to dedicate Jesus. And they hand Jesus to Simeon. And Simeon goes, Ah, the child I've been waiting for. This is the child that the whole country's going to hate and despise. And Mary, he's going to break your heart. God bless you. And he lived it out. He was betrayed. The masses turned against him. We have just witnessed his crucifixion. He is born on his body, not only the weight of the crucifixion, but the weight of our sin and the wrath of God against sin. Is it any wonder why he cries out, Father? Have you ever been through something hard? I remember going through a, a tough time in my life. Back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. So we would wait in the hall and dial on the push-button phone in the hall and put our money in, make our collect calls. And I'd call home and, Mom, I... I just want to hear Dad's voice. Could you get Dad? Dad, I need your advice. Tell me it's going to be okay. Or, Mom and Dad, you mind if I come home this weekend? I just want to come home. Jesus, after finishing what He has done, cries out, Father, Father. Oh. 
I want to come home. Say, how do you know that? Well, see what he says next. I commit my spirit. We are in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, by the way. Luke 23, 46. He says, Father, I commit my spirit to you. Literally, I place my hope, my trust. I place my entire being in you and that you will take care of me. When I go to a bank, I place the trust that when I put my check in the bank that they will take care of it. When I drive to school and I drop off my children, I am telling the school, I trust that you will take care of my children. When I go to the doctor and I am going to have surgery and they put a mask over my face and they make me go to sleep, I trust them that they're going to do the right thing when I'm on the table. This is the concept that it is trying to communicate. That we trust In fact, this is the prayer we pray when we're married and we look at the person and we commit ourselves to them. I am trusting you with my lifetime. But this is not just Jesus committing His money or committing His stuff. He is committing everything to God and it's all on the line. And I have a question for you. How's God going to answer this prayer? How's He going to answer it? Would Jesus have any reason to doubt? Oh, oh yeah, no, 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 no. Hold it. Time out. 24 hours before, He's in the garden. He's praying to the Father. And He says to the Father, if it be Your will, take this cup from Me. I don't want to taste Your wrath. I don't want to taste sin. Please, Father, take it away. And the Father says no. And He says okay. So His request had been turned down. Just a few breaths before, He had cried out, My God, My God, why have You abandoned Me? Now he's going to pray this prayer? What would cause him to trust to pray this prayer? The word that preceded it. Father. Father. I don't just commit myself to anyone. I commit myself to you. Did the Father answer that question? Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, in Acts chapter 6, the elders set up a new leadership team in the church called the deacons. And in our church, we have elders, and what operate as deacons are our ministry leaders. They operate much like our... A deacon board. And what a deacon board did was they served. And one of the guys who was a deacon was a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen goes out. He preaches his very first sermon. This is great. Preaches the sermon. And it is so powerful that it convicts those who listen. 
Now you got a choice when you're this convicted. You can either change or you can remove that which wants you to change. Everyone there decides to remove Stephen. So they take him out. First sermon, take him out, and they decide to stone him. I feel very blessed here that I've been preaching now for a little over a year and a quarter, and I haven't been stoned yet. I do look at Tony's hands every Sunday just to see what rocks he's carrying in. But notice what happens. They've just started stoning him. In fact, look at the response. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And get this, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, I love it. Not only has he seen it, but notice what he says. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him together. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he crawls out. Notice what he calls out. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus is saying right now on the cross? You see, Stephen became like his master and prayed his master's prayer. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Didn't that sound like Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them. You see, when you meet Jesus, you're changed by Jesus and you begin to act like Jesus. Jesus is in his glorified body. He's recognizable. His prayer to his Father has been answered. And because his prayer has been answered, you and I now have the courage to pray like Jesus. Receive my Spirit, you and I now have the courage like Jesus to pray, Father, forgive. Jesus trusted. He trusted His Father when His time was about to come. Peter Marshall, in one of his beautiful, beautiful sermons, tells the story of a little boy. This little boy knew something was wrong with his body. He couldn't go out and play like the other boys. He would have to sit and look through the window. He noticed that each day he grew weaker and weaker. He noticed each day that it, it took more effort. And finally he went to his mom. He says, Mom, what's wrong with me? And, he, and, and she, she said, well, son, you're, you're sick. Mom, am I ever going to get better? And the... Mom looked him in the eye and said, son, no, you're not. And then he asked the fateful question, mom, am I going to die? And with tears streaming down her face, she answered, yes, son, the day will come that you will die. Mom, what will it be like? Will it hurt? 
Will it be scary? And the mom tried. What do I tell him? She remembered. She said, son, you know how every night you come into our room and we talk and we laugh and we tell stories and every night you fall asleep on our bed? Yeah, mom, yeah. Well, where do you wake up, son? Well, I wake up in my own bed, mom. Why does that happen? I, I, I guess you carry me. Yeah, my, your, your, your dad with his big strong arms comes and picks you up and he carries you back to your bedroom and we gently tuck you in and we kiss you goodnight. Oh, son, the day will come and death will come upon you like a sleep and Jesus will come and he will carry you to your new home. And you'll wake up there knowing you're home with Jesus in a place of joy because he carried you with his strong arms. And son, you can trust him. You won't have to be afraid. You won't be afraid. And sure enough, the day came that Jesus carried that young child home. You see, friends, we can have that kind of trust, that utter, complete trust in our Father to take care of us because He took care of Jesus and His Spirit, and Jesus trusted Him. Notice one more thing. It's, it's, it's a strange thing here in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. It's, it is recorded in all the, the, the Gospels. And it's this phrase. And having said this, he breathed his last. You see, there's a word that should have been used there. It's a word that the Greeks used when someone died, and it means they're dead. It means there's no life left in them. In fact, lest you're confused on what it means, I believe we have a clip. Do we have a clip? Uh, let Miracle Max explain it for to you. Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. You see, Jesus would be all dead. But the word that they're supposed to use is a word that means that death overtook him. That death conquered him. That death won. That when he died, he died. And he had no choice. But notice what word is used here. It says, let me read it to you again. He breathed his last. He breathed his last. This is the idea that he chose. He chose. You see, when death comes upon you or I, we don't have a choice. We die. 
and we, we, we completely die. I had taken a class in college called Aging, Dying, and Death, and, and one of the things we had to do was go to a mortuary, and we had to meet with a mortician. And the mortician we were meeting with was one who had been, a, 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 this mortuary had been handed down year after year after year to family after family, and so he, they were like a five or six generation mortuary there in Los Angeles. And I asked the mortician, I said, what is the strangest thing that's ever happened here in this mortuary? He goes, well, it didn't happen to me. It happened to my grandfather. He came in, and they, the hospital had shipped someone in, and, and uh, we got ready to begin working on him, according to Grandpa. And uh, as we started to work, he started making noises. He started moaning. He started saying things. We grabbed a mirror, we put it up to his nose, we noticed he was breathing. In our uh, expert opinion, dead people don't breathe. So we patched him up and we called a different hospital <laughs> and sent him over and the man recovered. Why? Because he wasn't dead. But when death takes over you or I, we die. But Jesus' phrase means that he wasn't a victim of death. He conquered death. So even though he dies, they use a different phrase. They use a phrase that say he laid down his life on his own accord, in his own time, in his own way. And we even see this more vividly when the soldiers check. Remember, they take the spear and they, they first of all, they're surprised that he's dead. So they take a spear and they plunge it in his side. Now it flows the blood and water. And it's a sign that his heart has been literally broken by the fluid that gathered around it. Jesus dies of a broken heart at his own time, at his own choosing. He chooses his last breath. He commits himself into the loving hands of his Father, confident of his care. And on earth, chaos breaks out. In the temple, the thick veil rips from in the holy place that separates it from the holy place and the holy of holies, and it rips from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. So it's not the work of man. The earth trembles, graves open, the dead walk again. The centurion believes and cries out, Surely this is the Son of God. The onlookers cower and cringe under the guilt of their actions, and the followers of Christ wonder in amazement, and they are confused by what it means. And in heaven, have you ever wondered what must have been going on? I think in heaven, the response of the Heavenly Father was clear by the ripping of the veil. The Heavenly Father sets, steps out and he hears his son's last prayer and he says, yes, 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 come home. Yes, those who've been separated from me from sin no longer because of your work and every man and every woman and every child who puts their trust in you can come to me. Yes. I think the angels looked around and the angels who are confused, they're trying to understand this because remember, when the rebellion happened for them, there was no second chance. Those who rebelled were out. 
And they're in wonder and amaze, and they see the cruelty heaped upon the Son of God, and they are tense, and they're waiting for, for the, just the signal for them to come and free him. And then they hear the final prayer. And they get it. They say, yes. God's plan is finished. I think of the saints of old, the saints of the Old Testament. You see, they were kind of living on a loan. All the ones in paradise, David and Moses and Elijah, they're all living on a loan. And they're all looking around and they're all, watching this and I think they all go yes because we're on loan you see the blood of the rams and the goats and the sheep couldn't couldn't cover them they knew that they were invested in something in the future they were looking towards the cross in fact it was a loan that would have to be paid my wife has just started working at Ryan Chevrolet She's a receptionist. Across the desk from her is a brand new Corvette, $95,000. Okay? Imagine I decide that, you know, BEFC needs a pastor who drives that car. <laughs> so I go to the only banker I know. I drive to Steve's, Houston's bank. Now, I'm really fortunate. Steve has had a double root canal that day, and he's still high on medication. Okay? I mean, really high. And Dan Rodilius is out of the office, so he can't stop me. So I, 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 have, I, I meet with Steve, and, and I tell him what I can afford. I say, yeah, can I... Can I buy this $95,000 car for $100 a month payment for the next 100 years. And wow, in his delirium, he signs the papers. And I start driving the car. Wow. You know, driving around. And um, after a couple months, Something happens and I stop making those payments. Do I own the car or does Steve's bank own the car? Steve's bank. So the next thing I know, it's been repossessed. And Diane is now driving the car. <laughs> Steve didn't have a voice in the matter. Okay? Now, the payment came due. And all of the Old Testament saints are looking forward at the cross. And the payment is paid in full. And so they cry out, Yes! You and I, what do we cry out? What do we cry out? 
story is told of an eccentric old English evangelist, and he would go town to town to town, and he had this big old tent, and he put out this tent, and he would have meetings, and he would go do these meetings, and at the meetings, he would, you know, preach the gospel, and then during the day, he would walk around, hey, come to my meeting, come to my meeting, and he went to a grocery store, and he talked to this clerk, and he said, hey, I want you to come to my meeting, and the guy said, sure, I'll come to your meeting, I'll come to your meeting. He never made it to the meeting. Well, the meetings ended. And now the evangelist is taking down this big old tent and he's trying to roll it up by himself and he's doing all things. And the clerk comes running up. And the clerk goes, Sir, sir, I'm sorry I missed it. I'm sorry I didn't attend. I'm sorry, but I, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved. I, I, I want to accept the gift. I, 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 I want to be saved. What do I have to do? And the guy, without breaking from what he's doing, looks at him and says, it's too late. It's too late. He keeps working. Sir, no, no, no. What must I do? I have to do something. I have to do something. What must I do? I said it's too late. Sir, I beg of you. Whatever I have to do, I'll do. Just tell me. Tell me. Tell me. It's too late. Sir, I beg of you. And the guy stops. The evangelist turns around. He says, son, it's too late. It's too late to do anything. Because it was all done on the cross many years ago. Jesus did it all. He did all the work. So son, just believe. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Him and say, yes. Father, I commit my spirit into Your hands. And He breathed His last. Because Jesus finished His work on the cross, He could commit Himself to His Father. And because of his work, you and I can commit ourselves to God with full confidence that he will keep our souls if we will believe in the work of Jesus Christ. Turn from our sin and turn to him and believe. Amen? Amen.